from the advertising media capital of the world, New Milford, Connecticut, wherever that is. This is Mostly Automotive Marketing with Matt Wilson, a bi-weekly-ish podcast about all things automotive marketing. Now, here's your host, Matt Wilson. It's another episode of Mostly Automotive Marketing with Matt Wilson, a bi-weekly-ish podcast all about marketing in the automotive industry. And I'm Matt Wilson, which is why I named it Mostly Automotive Marketing with Matt Wilson. My guest today is an old, old friend of mine. We go way back to the early days of the uh, late days, I guess, of the mid-1990s-ish. And he is the owner of Jim McCarthy Voiceovers, and his name is Jim McCarthy. Hey, buddy. Crazy. It's crazy that my name is that, and I named the company after myself. What a coincidence! What it made is. you? What, what made crazy. you? What made you crazy? Uh, so well, okay. I had the, I, I had this name, and I do voiceovers, so I figured why not combine the two? Yeah, it makes good sense, right? That's good business sense, right there. <laughs> I'm trying to get my levels all right. I hate recording these things. It's so much work. Doesn't everybody have a podcast? You have a podcast. I you have two podcasts. Um, I I have my own and I produce a bunch of podcasts. That's all, yeah, but Correct. you're you're a co-host on one of the ones that I you am. produce, so that counts as a podcast. And then you so it's that's a lot of the pod, your podcasts are good, by the way. Thank you. I'm trying to get some listeners to this one. It's hey, going all right. You know, well, I, why you're having me on then is is beyond me. I generated some re- I generated some revenue. I made thirty two cents on mostly automotive marketing, thanks to Anchor. Beautiful. Thanks to Anchor dot com, Anchor FM, Anchor whatever it is, thirty two cents. And, and this podcast brought to you by the Podcaster Pro, or sorry, the Roadcaster Pro. I don't have one of those yet, right. so. Well, you will now. I um, with my thirty four cents, I'm going to start investing in one. In a, lay- yeah, a layaway program. I want to talk, I think a good topic for you and I to talk about would be the creative process because you and I kind of grew up in radio together, but uh, we both kind of come from early on days, the kind of the creative side of it. And then with your business and and as you've, uh, what you've been doing for the last, you know, 20 years and with what I've been doing, creative uh, and the creative process has been a big part of it. And we've had lots of discussions uh, on the phone, just the two of us kind of yucking it up, talking about uh, the creative process. And I always think that it's interesting when you get a group of people in a room, I'll just use a car dealership as an example. We've both worked at car dealerships. You get a bunch of people in a room and you're like, let's come up with an idea for a TV commercial. And the way it happens is different for everybody, but it's kind of an interesting process. And there are so many ridiculous commercials out there uh, that I always wonder when I see those, whether it's on TV or YouTube or, or whatever, I'm like, how did this idea, first of all, who said it? And then how did it come to fruition? Who approved it? How did it get made? And how did it end up on TV? And I don't know if you remember, right. I don't know if you remember, if I shared this with you, a couple of years ago, there was a dealership in Connecticut, and they're gone now. It was a Buick GMC store. And their um, commercial was the owner who was riding like like an airplane, but he was riding a pencil across the screen. Like, you know, you're doing the deal with a pencil, but he was riding in it like it was an airplane. And the, right. and the slogan was, he just wants to get you alone. Like alone on your car. But it, it was creepy as you can imagine. He just wants to get you alone. And then he goes flying through the screen on his pencil. And I was like, 
who the heck came up with that idea? And then what agency was like, oh, yeah, yeah, we can make a pencil. We could do that. There's so many of those out there that um, I had this thing at my last job where I would be like, okay, you know, you want to get as close as you can to like the corny line, like so it's funny and clever, but you don't want to cross the line. How do you tell where the line is? Like, how do you tell when you're shooting videos or you're working with your clients? Um, well, to address the other thing that you were talking about with the seemingly good idea at the time and nobody willing to tell the owner no, mm-hmm. uh, so he's surrounding himself with yes men. Um, yeah, a lot of those things don't translate when they hit the airwaves and you find yourself, um, you know, with a, with a, a skeevy spot like that. Um, and you know, it makes the consumer kind of scratch their head. And if it's in a forward push type of marketing platform like television or radio, rather than, you know, social media advertising, where it's, you got to engage the, 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 the user, um, yeah, that's something that can work on on there. But I mean, in terms of how do I push? How do I know when I've crossed the line? Is that what you're asking? How do you, yeah? How do you know? Um, I don't think we ever get there. I mean, every, everything I shoot is um, fantastic. You know, and it's all every it, we I, we just have a conversation. Yeah, we've always I've always done that with a lot of my car dealerships. If if it's a general manager, and you know, typically nine eight times eight times out of ten, let's say the general manager probably shouldn't be on the spots. Yeah. Okay. And it's a, it's a, it's a matter of hubris that you run into. Well, I'm the GM, all the other GMs do this. So I get to do it. Whether it's a good idea or not is a different story. Okay. Case in point, car dealership that I used to work for that I left abruptly. As soon as the GM stepped in, his last name happened to be Holly. Okay. And he mm-hmm. would actually come up to customers at the dealership and say, man, and it was Christmas time. So he would say, hey, it's a holly jolly Christmas here at the Honda deal. I'm like, dude, did you just oh say that? Oh, my gosh. Really? Did you really? <laughs> and, you know, and all of us are sitting there kind of going, okay. All right. Yeah. Uh, I don't, uh, okay. So the, his predecessor, now he was open to having other people on the spots with him. It didn't matter to him if he was on the spot. But he was also big and boisterous. He sounded like John Madden. He had a great voice, a great disposition. People liked him. He was a great leader, a great culture creator. So it naturally translated when he was on the spot and people would meet him in person, that persona matched. Um, But in terms of me pushing the envelope, I mean, I think I pushed the envelope when I convinced a dealer down here to admit um, a negative in in their spots. And it was a Chevy dealership. And I said, you know, what's your biggest problem? What's the biggest problem you have to solve when it comes to advertising, you know, on the radio? He says, our biggest problem is that nobody knows where the hell we are. I said, okay, let's go with that. Yeah. And we admitted a negative on the air. I said, hey, you know, we're gonna we're gonna be honest with you. Okay, here's here's our proof. We're gonna admit something to you that you know no other dealership would ever even think to admit. We're gonna tell you that. Good luck finding us. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We defy, defy you to find us. Right. So I guess to answer the question, that's probably as risky as I took it with um, a dealer spot because, and it worked for them. It made them stand out. Now, yeah. where they failed was that they didn't mirror their culture 
to be like their spot. So, I mean, I can't help that. Right now. You know, that, that's going to be a top down kind of thing. You know, we had so. a, um, in our neck of the woods here in Connecticut, uh, you probably remember, if you, I don't know if you remember new Milford Volkswagen, which yes. is not around anymore. Uh, I, there are, there's only one car dealership in new Milford that used to have like six and there's no Volkswagen dealerships around here really. So New Milford Volkswagen was inconveniently located unless you lived in northern New Milford, which is not right. easy to get to. But their slogan, I don't know if you remember, was um, the owner's name was Ted Orr. And uh, I actually bought a car from him, like my first car. But his slogan was, uh, I think, miles from anywhere. No. Miles from anywhere across from the bull or something? Away from the bull? I can't remember the slogan. It's a great story. Right. This is a great story I'm telling here, isn't it? Yes, it's great. He was, he was, the the basis was he was across the street from a farm. So he basically was admitting, like, we're far away from most people and we're across from cows. And just basically saying, like, listen, we're far away. It's not convenient to get here, uh, which it's, which it wasn't. Um, I guess this is a bad example of pointing out a negative and having it working because they went out of business. But, um, (laughs) (laughs) so so it's not really a good selling point for this philosophy. But, uh, I always thought that was cool how they just kind of came out and said, "Listen, we're miles from anywhere, miles from the bull." I can't remember the freaking slogan now. I should have written it down. Um, That's okay. I told the story to a client the other day who I was talking to about uh, their location, and I told the story right, and I've since forgotten the uh, forgotten the slogan. <laughs> but <laughs> it's all right. Um, but anyway, I think the you know uh, just to talking about bad spots too we had you know or finding that corny line uh when i started at the group i worked at before where i am now we had an agency and the agency was in charge of the creative um and so i'm at bruce bennett nissan in connecticut and the agency wants us to shoot they would send us copy and say here's a spot to shoot and then we would use our local crew to shoot the spot and what we ended up doing was we'd get their copy, change it around and make it good, and then record it our own way and send it to them. And they'd be like, this isn't what we sent you. And we'd be like, yeah, what you sent us was terrible. So we fixed it. But with the last idea they sent us before we fired them was money raining down from the sky and an axe coming through the screen, slashing prices. And the, t- the people who make our TV commercials at that dealership, they're named, they're from other R Media in Danbury. We're like, no, we're not doing it. We can't do it. And then me and the owner were like, yeah, we're definitely not doing that. And that's when we decided to part ways with them. But things like that are easy to identify, right? You could look at that idea and be like, um, that's going to come across as pretty cheesy. Well, yeah, uh, I think it's risky and cheesy. Well, I mean, that's a thing to do, okay? Transactional advertising and automotive has always been something that uh, dealerships relied heavily on. And why is that? Because they live month to month. You know, every yeah. they live and die by the kind of months that they had. If they've had a bad month, they got to make it up in the, uh, you know, the next month, which is understandable. So it's very, you know, 5,000 foot off the ground centric, you know, whereas an agency and one of my biggest challenges when I would work with a a car dealer is like, I know it's spring. What are we doing in the fall? Okay, let's think that far out. Yeah. And how are we going to act relationally? Okay, where when people are in the market for a car. They want to have a safe place to go where they're not going to be jicky jacked around um, where everything's pretty straightforward. You know, the dealer can explain, Hey, we need to make a profit. Here's where we're making our profit. You know, we can't gut every single car because we need, okay, then we got to make you come back for service and all the fixed operations aspect of things. And that's how they make their money. 
But <clears throat> they kind of painted themselves into this corner with leading with price discounts. Okay, so when you have a dealership, like we have two in town here in Nashville, mm -hmm. two Highline dealerships, one which leads with price discounting, the other which leads with value proposition. So they're all about, hey, we, we have the most selection. We have a wide variety of, you know, not just the regular bread and butter vehicles, but also the really desirable exotic level type of vehicles. Um, and they position themselves. And there's a reason why they get that allocation because the brand loves them. And I don't think is very quite partial to the other dealership, right? Because the other dealership leads with 10 to 15% discounts all day long on their inventory. And they kind of get vanilla inventory after a while, if that makes sense. So, when you have two competing dealerships like that, that their North Stars are that different. Plus, the, the, the newer dealership leads with culture. They're more about their people. And, you know, when you come here, you're going to be treated right. It's going to be this kind of level of experience. When you hammer that and you find out what that positioning statement is and you hammer that over and over and over again and find creative ways to tell that story over and over and over again, You'll win. It's a legacy play. But what a lot of dealerships don't embrace and wrap their minds around is that that kind of advertising takes time and nobody yeah. wants to spend the time doing it. It's a but in the end, it's a marathon. But in the, yeah, but in the end, that's what they do anyway. Yeah. You're already putting the time into it, but you're thinking for tomorrow, not for 10 years from now. And understandably, they got to, they got to make a living. They got to sell cars. Um, there's probably a, a, a place to meet in the middle where they can do both. And I've always thought that, but <clears throat> Bruce Bennett Nissan is a perfect example. I always thought that they should be capitalizing on the family legacy of that dealership because they have it. Yeah. You know, the Bennett's have been a part of the Wilton and Danbury community for well over 35 years, uh, capitalize on it. You know, it's a multi-generational business. There's something to be said, but in an authentic way, mm -hmm. you know, and I'm big, you know, me, I'm big on not scripting anything. I just run with it. I, I interview people. We dig, we find the stories, we find compelling little sound bites and nuggets here and there. And we can make a spot out of this concept. We can make a spot out of this concept. And a lot of that just comes down to the interviewing style and how far you're willing to dig yeah. to get, to get all those bites. What about, yeah, I agree. You know, one of the things that, um, you know, I tried to shoot a spot once where uh, I don't know what it was based on, but it was basically it was when the new Nissan Pathfinder came out. It's, I'd say of all the commercials I shot at this uh, with my production crew of the seven years I was at Bruce Bennett Nissan, two out of seven, we shot them and then we never used them because it just they did not come out the way that I saw them in my head before we shot them. And usually what the process would be, and I'll ask you your process after this, my process would be, you know, when we finally get, you know, like we have the idea or I have the idea or someone else has the idea and then it gets developed and then it gets written and then it gets kind of brainstormed and then it gets taken up to the boss at the next level for like approval. And then I schedule the shoot. Uh, as it's going on, I can tell as it's happening, like this is not turning out how I envisioned it. And we were shooting a commercial when the new Nissan Pathfinder came out, like right when it got redesigned. Um, and the idea was it was going to be the, the two owners in the front seat of the Pathfinder 
just talking about it as we're driving around. And we had GoPros and we had a mic and me and the camera guy were in the trunk in the in the back, like laid down so we weren't on camera. And we were like, I gave them like some, you know, here's a couple things that you can, you know, feel free to mention or weave in or, you know, some differentiating factors of the vehicle. And we would give them some tips from the back seat. But as it was happening, and these two are in commercials all the time, and they're very, very good at it. Um, but it wasn't coming together because mm-hmm. they needed it to be scripted. They're used to, okay, Matt, what am I going to say in this spot? And then they make it sound natural, and then they make it they make it work. But when they just were coming up with the lines on their own, you know, like the conversational part of it, like as we were doing it, I was like, this isn't working. And even even mm-hmm. they said, like, this isn't working. And I knew like at that moment, like we got all this footage we could use for like little videos or something. But I'm like, this is never going to make it to TV. Like it was, it didn't, it just wasn't flowing as we were doing it. So I think some of that, like you was talking about scripted, unscripted, is also who you're working with. Because yeah. sometimes, you know, these two, these two people, the Bennett's were, are, were, are good, are good at spots. They do well. They've been in them for years, but this particular situation I put them in just wasn't, wasn't working. Well, get me in front of them. <laughs> hey, you're, are you saying, are you saying you're a better interviewer than me? Is that what you're saying? No, not at all. Hmm. Maybe you do have Maybe more, you do have more practice. Well, and that's the thing is that it's also tough when you're in a situation and they're driving the car. There's a little bit of uh, you know, a concentration that has to be doled out if it's an authentic type of approach, it would help if there was somebody, okay, you know, having a natural free flowing conversation right. and having, you know, you as the producer, a list of bullet points you want to hit. Um, and maybe that's when you have to play producer and the interviewer in a way. Yeah. You know, you know so you're sitting there with the owner and be like, okay, you know, Mr. Bennett, what do you think about, this is the brand new redesigned uh, Pathfinder what is what is most impressive to you about it? You know, and start with that. And well, I really like the drive. Okay, you like the way it drives. How did the old one drive versus this one? Well, the old one was kind of a little bit stiffer, a little tighter in the wheel. The the seats were kind of a little bit more bolstered. This one has a little bit more looseness to it. I'm kind of a guy that likes to feel more comfortable rather than feeling the road. You see what I mean? Yeah. So then all of a sudden you start taking these. And I, I coach a lot of podcast clients this way as well. That when you get an interview. And you have your, if someone who's really good, they'll have their show notes in front of them in terms of their interview uh, subject. Um, what I tell them, I said, don't let that be your gospel. If you could find that rabbit hole and it's something that's juicy, go get the shovel and start digging. Follow that rabbit hole. Because those rabbit holes are the places where you'll find the most interesting tidbits. Okay, that's the case even in this. You know, whenever I interviewed um, executive management, <clears throat> customers, service people, salespeople for dealerships. Tell me why you like here. Why, why you like working here? Do you like working here? <laughs> Let's start with that. Right. You know, while I'm on camera, of course I'm going to say I work here. <laughs> right. I, I like working here. I said, well, you know, yeah, that's quite apparent, but there's something that's telling me that there's, you're holding back. Is there something you want to, you know, air out just between you, you, me and the camera. And sometimes they will, sometimes they'll laugh. And even the laughs yeah. you could use, you know, little reactions and things of that nature. You know, tell me a story about what the dealership has done for you. I mean, you you work here. You, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and just finding the little nuances of the interview. You, it's, it can be done, you know. But when as producers we're thinking for the final spot, right? yeah, it can be tough. Because if it doesn't fit in the narrative of a final spot, Dude, sometimes the outtakes 
can be compelling stuff to watch. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, that, that could be very creative and going out on a limb. There's a local dentist down here that uh, if you go to the movies, they do the pre-roll uh, commercials on the movies. The um, mm-hmm. I can't remember what it's called, but they've discovered the nuance of humanism or being, uh, you know, humanizing themselves with outtakes. So whenever they flub the line, they started using that in some of the commercials and they ran that. That's all they do now, which yeah. is, you know, their thing. It, you go to the movies, it's like, okay, I get it. It's kind of overdone, but right. it's fun stuff, you know. <clears throat> I don't know if it translates on a radio spot, but I mean, a lot of, would you agree that a lot of dealerships are going more towards the social aspect anyway with advertising? Yeah, I mean, it depends. Like, like I, like just from the agency perspective, I work with, for the agency that I work for, I'd say 60% of our dealers are digital only, mm-hmm. which, I mean, also includes, you know, SEM and, and SEO and all that kind of stuff. But, um, and OTT, like, you know, streaming television, connected TV. But I would say a lot of our dealers focus a lot of their efforts on mm-hmm. social. I just had a dealer ask me three days ago, um, oh, where was this dealer? Uh, oh, it was a, a Toyota dealer in Louisiana. And he said to me, oh, do you guys do Instagram? And I said, mm-hmm. well, you know, I said, you know, first of all, personally, I use Instagram all the time. I love Instagram stories. I put out Instagram stories, my personal Instagram all the time. I like it. Um, and I use it with friends and sports teams and stuff and just to entertain me. Uh, and we do do it for clients. However, you know, I was telling the guy we don't recommend it necessarily unless your budget is huge because – the return on Instagram stories isn't the ROI is not huge. Obviously, you know, you and I believe about the relational, the branding part of that. But you know, if a dealer's looking for clicks and form fills, they're not going to get it at a fair cost from an Instagram story. If they're building right. and they have the budget to build their brand, then absolutely I recommend it. But most dealers are, like you said, are looking for what am I going to spend today that's going to help me on Saturday? What am I going to spend today that's going to help me on a next holiday weekend? They're not looking at the at the at the, at the big picture at, at the long term, um, and they don't have a budget worthy of you know splurging on uh, you know things that aren't mission critical. Um, I forget what your question was. Well, it's a, whether or not they were you know is it kind of like what's the split between social and traditional advertising these days that you're seeing on average? Um, I don't we don't really I don't really split it out like in my head is social and traditional. We look at digital and traditional. But digital right. includes a bunch of stuff. But it's it's about sixty. I mean, I'd say four years ago, a dealership would spend maybe five years ago twenty five percent of their budget on digital, and right. that that's probably flip flop close to the other way by now. Um, and it depends on market too. I mean, you know, I, you know, I have a dealer who spends a ton of money on TV still, but they're in a big market, and their advertising is branding. They, they're not a price leader. They're not a transactional uh, store. They don't advertise lease specials. They're all about the experience and where we are and we're in your community. And we got guys from all over the place from around here and we're going to have a great experience. And um, they do a lot of that on TV and on streaming television. Um, and then they save any kind of like money mention or savings for some low funnel digital stuff like search or social. Um, right. 
but I'd say a lot, guess, of, a lot of people aren't, aren't aren't making that effort to do that branding relational type stuff because they either don't believe in it or they don't think they can't quantify the ROI on it. Well, if I spend that no, ten, because, if I spend that ten grand, what's it going to get me? Well, you don't really right. know. Oh, well, then I'm not going to do it. Right. It's too risky, and uh, you know that's and again, like we talked about, it takes a lot of time to to run with that ball down the field. But again, if you have Let's say, I mean, again, you're talking about different types of dealerships. If you're talking about domestic brand dealerships, mid, you know, the Nissans, the Fords, the Chevys, those types of guys versus yeah. the Highline, Highline can get away with more of a branding approach, engaging in the community. I think ultimately, if a dealership really wants to separate itself and differentiate, it's got to start with its culture, you know, it, first and foremost. Yeah. Um, figure out who they are their core values, what's going to drive them every day, and who is at the top of that, who's going to be maintaining that culture. Because I believe that a lot of these exec- executive positions in these dealerships, their biggest job is maintaining that culture. They're there to work for the people that are working underneath them. And if they are able to create a culture that those people feel like they're cared about, man, you can get yeah. everybody rowing in the same direction that's a differentiator yeah. because if they're rowing in the same direction and they believe in what they're doing, their customers are going to feel that. Yeah. Okay. If the the employee feels that at every turn that the company is going to try and find a way to weasel out from paying them a commission right. or a bonus, or they're going to be penalized because they didn't take a freaking picture with a customer at the end of the transaction, yeah. That's a poisonous culture, yeah. and it ultimately shoots the dealership in the foot. They're going to have a tough time digging themselves out of that. Okay, if you can get, if you can create flaming advocates for your dealership, both on the front lines and the people that you work that work there, as well as the people who conduct business with you, you're winning eighty percent of the battle. Okay, you can capitalize that on that in both types of your marketing, in traditional and non-traditional, in digital. Okay. <clears throat> Flaming Advocates would be a good name for a band, by the way. Flaming, so would Freezer Beef. <laughs> Freezer Beef? Freezer Beef. Great name. Let's I talk- heard that one time at B&I. <clears throat> um, Freezer Beef. One of the dealerships here, the one that I work with, Mercedes-Benz and Music City, they're very cultural, culture-heavy. Mm-hmm. The CEO of that organization is all about culture. He's, he, you know, they've got lanyards with cards around their neck that have all 27 of uh, what they call their quiver of arrows. So the quiver is the thing that holds the arrows. The arrows are the points of um, their, their core beliefs, their core values uh, that they all wear on their neck. And I believe that if he, he says, look, you don't need to memorize and believe in all 27 of these, but right. I do want you to pick out you know, a couple that resonate with you. And I want you to, you know, someone asks you, what do you, what, what's your favorite arrow? I want you to be able to articulate why you believe in that, you know? So he's very big on that, creating culture. They do the culture coin thing. Um, and because of that, their, their customers are so over the moon about them. There's, there's no reason a Ford, a Nissan, a Honda, a Chevy dealership, GMC, any of these midline brands. It doesn't have to be a high line. There's no reason why they couldn't do that. None. Okay, so if a dealership's going to take a risk 
that's the risk I would take. Because if you're not going to mirror your culture in your advertising, or if you're going to create a culture that doesn't exist within your advertising, you're just setting money on fire. Yeah. And you might as well, you might as well, you know, lead with price and, you know, cross your fingers. What about the creative? Let's talk about the creative process. Like, like Mm -hmm. where ideas come from. Here's how it it would work for me. The boss, well, either the boss would say to me, Hey, we need a new spot. I'm tired of our spot. Or I would say, I would be thinking, Oh, I got a schedule coming up on so-and-so it's time to change the creative or whatever, or I need a new idea. And then I would try and set myself like, self a deadline like all right well you know our spot starts in three and a half weeks and i got to come up with something soon and i can't right. ju- i can't just sit at my desk and come up with an idea usually i gotta like be doing something else and be distracted with me a lot of the times it's in the shower for whatever reason mm. i would tell my boss i would text him and be like dude i have a I had a great idea in the shower this morning he'd be like uh thanks matt or mm. or in the car listening to music or listening to you know something else in the car something would come to me and then i would bring it in and I would get with somebody else on my team, whether it was a graphic designer or a coworker, and we would kind of hash it out. And I think it's important that you talk about it with someone else because sometimes they'll say right up front, dude, this is going nowhere. I don't know what you're talking about. This is not as good as you think it is, which happened to me a lot. Or they would say, oh, what if it's this? What if it's that? And then the idea would kind of take shape. Um, that's kind of how those ideas would start for me. What about you? Mm-hmm. I mean, and also um, just 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 real quick for you too. Like even back in your radio days, when you were you worked at Jack FM at a radio station that had a whole different way of looking at things than the rest of the industry at the time. Those ideas too; those are the same ideas as the stuff you come up with now. How did, how did that stuff? How does it come to you, and how you develop it early on? I'm a big fan of group brainstorming because uh, even though some may you know the group brainstorming in which. There are no bad ideas. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Of course, there are going to be some bad ideas. But what the purpose of a group brainstorming is, is to get all the ideas out on the table. And what I've always found is that creativity begets creativity. So the more you talk, like right now, I'm talking to you while I'm pacing. And the more you start, you, you know, getting into the energy and the flow of a dialogue with a group or with another person you'll find that a lot of ideas just kind of pop out of nowhere. Um, if they catalyze with something that's in the shower or when your brain is at rest and something pops in your mind, it may be a bad idea or maybe yeah. just not a, 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 an idea that's fleshed out enough to, to really blossom into something big. But ultimately, I think for the consumer to absorb whatever it is – if it's a creative idea for the sake of being creative, is it worth it? Right. Is the question. Right. Okay. Because we've all seen ads that are really creative, but guess what happens? We forget who they're for. Yeah. Like what a great ad. For, yeah. For genius. Hey, remember see the guy who, who was eating the chips while he was jumping off a, you know, hang gliding off of a, a cliff and, you know, he dropped the chips and the guy in the flying bat suit was, was down below him and he catched the, yeah, we have, that was a great commercial. Yeah. Who was that for? Well, I don't know. Yeah, right. Great spot. You know, for a car dealership, I I just think with all the different competition, um, they have to be willing to invest that kind of time, taking an hour out of the day, you know, taking some of the people that uh, you wouldn't expect in a meeting like that, maybe taking the porter or the, uh, you know, the front desk girl, a finance representative uh, and bringing them all into a room be like, hey, we're brainstorming about, you know, if if you're really getting ahead of this, 
what we're going to be doing, say it's in February this month, we're brainstorming what we're going to be doing in May and June. Great. Yeah. May, June, this is what's happening. We've got barbecues going on with, you know, Memorial Day is coming up. What can we do? Let's get all our ideas on the table and figure out, you know, based on this umbrella of who we are and these core values, what can we do to make a fun spot? And that's how you can actually yeah. have creativity on top of creativity. We did, a, we did a creative session once where we brought in, it was actually the idea to do the creative session was brought to us by a radio station. They said, oh, mm -hmm. we want to be, you know, smart move on their part. They were like, we want to be part of your process for coming up with your ideas for this year, which was really a good mm -hmm. idea on their part because, you know, if they're, if they're, they're driving us having that meeting, clearly they want to be a part of it. And then right. it, it almost gets us to be like, oh, yeah, we did this. This is their idea. Okay, we're going to do a schedule on their station. Like, it was kind of a smart idea. And they did it with us every year for a couple of years. And so, and they would say, invite whoever you want. So it would be the, my sales rep and the sales manager from this radio station who were very outgoing, clever, good marketing people. And then I would invite uh, like a finance manager who had, had been at the dealership for 15 years and was funny and had just a good sense of, you know, being a person. Me and two people in my department, uh, the, the owner, a, a person from the BDC, the service manager, like a couple of key people who have might have personalities, might have an input into it, have a stake in what was going on. And we would just talk about the year and somebody would, you know, get one of those like uh, giant legal pads that like go on an easel. And one yeah. of the people from the station would just write down all the ideas. Oh, I'd invite some of our TV people too. And they write down all these right. ideas. And then we'd write, you know, like, oh, this is for this. or this would be cool for this. And, you know, if you write down 20 things, maybe six of them at the end of the thing, you're narrowed down. You're like, oh, these six are pretty good. And then you get back in your office and you start kind of looking at your calendar, what you have going on for the year. And you're like, oh, this might match good for July. And this would be a good idea if we're trying to talk about this car for these two months. And, oh, this would be a good overarching theme to go all year to focus on our, you know, whatever thing we're doing. Um, right. So, yeah, it is, it is good. I do like kind of hashing out the ideas like that and then writing the actual copy solo and then mm -hmm. kind of bringing it back to the group. And uh, going from there, I don't like writing actual copy with other people, um, because sometimes, like as you when you say it out loud, I'm like if I'm writing it and saying it out loud, somebody would be like, eh. But like I'm like, no, 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 hold on, let me finish it, and then and then it'll make sense. Then you'll get it. And right. and, like, and like you said, it's got to be like about something. So a lot of times we would start with like, what are we trying to say? Or we're trying to say that we're going to have crazy, awesome July Fourth deals, but we don't want to do just a straightforward yell at you silly, crazy, awesome July 4th commercial. So how can we get that right. message across without being totally cheesy about it? You know, uh, oh, right, we'll make fun of the people who are doing it cheesy. Or, we're not, or we won't even mention, you know, whatever the idea was, you're, you're totally right. It can't just be creative or clever for the sake of being creative or clever. There has to be, you have to be working towards a goal. Like, what do you try to get out of it? You know, it's funny, uh, as we're talking here about creativity, my mind is kind of working. We're talking about, you know, when I mentioned before, creativity begets creativity. Um, I just had an idea right now. Mm -hmm. And if any dealership is listening, run with it, see what happens. How many dealerships are willing to make fun of themselves? Meaning I've always had this. I've been actually chewing on this bone for the past month about coming up with a style of commercials that involve really bad, cheesy, local acting. You know what I'm saying? Like that local commercial feel. Yeah. But on purpose. Uh-huh. Okay. And maybe if we had a GM who is, you know, hi, I'm so-and-so, GM of blah, blah, Hyundai. 
I am here to tell you about our dealership in the most flat way possible. <laughs> and I'm trying to sound as hard as possible to, to sound like I'm reading, you know, stuff like right. that. And then, you know, have the outtakes be like, dude, I'm not an actor. I'm a, I run a, I run a car dealership. I don't, yeah, I'm not right. cut out for this kind of stuff. Yeah, right. You know, somebody who's willing to make fun of himself. Yeah. That could get attention. And you know, Hey, we don't take ourselves too seriously. That's okay. You know, totally. Can, you know, any anything that can get you attention. Is it a fad? Is it a you know a fleeting idea? Is it a bad idea? Most likely, but you know, right. you can build upon that. Maybe you can create a series of ads that you know are all about just bad local advert. If it's on local, make it feel local. Yeah, you know, we did a. Um, I can't remember if this was radio or TV. Maybe radio. We did a spot once. Why don't part not to interrupt you? Why don't dealerships partner up with right. local restaurants and things of that nature? Be like, hey, we decided to take lunch down here at you know, uh, I'm trying to think of a place on South Street there in Danbury, uh, Pippa's, mm -hmm. whatever. Okay, and we're sitting here enjoying some burgers. Oh, by the way, we took the brand new 2020 uh, Nissan Xterra. I don't even know if they make Xterras anymore. No. <laughs> Nissan Pathfinder. Not in like five years. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> we took the Nissan Pathfinder down here, sitting out in the parking lot. So, uh, camera crew, while we're eating, go ahead and shoot some video of it. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's a cool idea. That would be interesting. Yeah. I mean, we just did something for, because uh, the, the company that owns Mercedes-Benz of Music City uh, brought me on to do video for their dealerships in Baton Rouge and the Woodlands in Houston. So, I flew out to Baton Rouge. Um, they were willing to take a $97,000 GLE which is a midsize SUV hmm. into the mud bogs of the bayou in Louisiana and say, we want to try out this new technology that it has. It's called e-active technology. It's a technology that could see the road ahead and adjust the suspension to accommodate for the road and make it more comfortable for the driver, make the car more nimble. And one of those elements of the technology is it enabling itself to get unstuck from the mud. So the car will bounce. <clears throat> and they wanted to show a video or make a video um, exemplifying that technology. Mm -hmm. So let's take it, let's purposely get the car stuck and show what the technology can do. Well, it's a formatic for all wheel drive vehicle. We took it out there, the thing would not get stuck. <laughs> so it still was a video. And at the time while I'm shooting it, I'm like, okay, can we make this a, you know, just a real quick kind of a, you know, example video tutorial of the, you know, but what ended up happening is it became a little bit more like a dirty jobs ep episode. Uh -huh. We had kind of like a, a, a guy who was their ambassador who said, look, I grew up around here. That thing is no way it's going to be able to go through some of these mud bogs. If my F-250 gets struck, uh, stuck, for sure, that mom mobile is going to get stuck. I'm going to have to get the tractor and pull it out. Um, so he was kind of the antagonist. Right. And at the end, he had to kind of eat his words. You know, um, we had another guy who was just a character running along. He's like, come on, Benz. Come on, get on up there. Get that. <laughs> you know, just being himself. And I'm like, oh, this is gold. And the idea came to me right as we were wrapping up the shoot. I'm like, I'm going to make this like a Dirty Jobs episode. That's kind of cool. Who would? And that's a. Yeah, that's a good idea. Who would? And by it, the way, I'd be way too nervous to go off. And you, and you, and you know what the what, what the biggest thing that people took away was at the end 
the guy who was cheering on the Mercedes, I had asked him about that in a post interview. I said, Hey, what was that all about? And he just started laughing. He's like, man, I'm, I'm an athlete by nature. And whenever I see someone or something just trying for something, it just comes out of me. I'm like, come on, man, get on. You know? <laughs> yeah. And he was just being himself. And it was like an outtake. And more people mentioned that than the actual car going through the mud. So what does that tell you? I'd be way too scared to drive a $92,000 car off road. And that's, and that's why I let them do it. And I didn't touch the wheel. <laughs> I shot a, I'll, be, uh, I'll sh- be over here with the camera. Yeah. I shot a commercial <laughs> once for a uh, Nissan Titan, a new 20, what year did it come out? 17 or 18? That was an 18 or 19. I remember you drove it through the uh, farm, yeah, the cornfield. Titan Pro 4X. And I drove it through the cornfield at Kimberly Farm in New Milford, like right near, like across the street from my house. And we drove through the cornfield in the summer when the corn was really high and the field was really narrow and they didn't mm-hmm. hadn't mowed the grass. And so the width of it literally was the width of the truck. Like you could, you couldn't open the door of the truck to get out because of the corn. And right. when we got to the end, we realized there was no place to turn around. And I was with, it was me and the, um, uh, and the camera crew. And they had to like, we put them in the bed of the truck. Cause it's the only way to be, you could get out. You couldn't open the doors. And then <laughs> one of the, the, the daughter of the farmers in the front seat kind of showing us around and we had to like back through the thing and like, you know, you couldn't see the ground. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to hit a rock or I'm going to go off the road in this, you know, $65,000 pickup truck. And then we're driving through like uphills, downhills, like at a pretty good speed because we wanted to see it bounce, see the suspension. And I mm-hmm. was super nervous about it. And I realized that the more expensive the car you're driving in the commercial, the more nervous you are about it. I was never like that when we were driving a Sentra around. When we're doing a commercial <laughs> in a Titan or an Armada, I'm like, oh, my God, please don't hurt this car. Makes <laughs> Getting all the paint scratched up. Yeah, exactly. I hit a branch. I, I, I actually almost hit a pole. Um, uh, I almost hit a pole uh, by the cow fence um, just because right. the way I, it was towards the end of the day and the way the sun was hitting and I was looking in the mirror weird and – and uh, I was like, I was so close. I was like, oh my gosh, I almost. Well, well that's wrecked that's the this thing. thing. Is, it, another thing that a dealership can do to kind of spark some creativity is identify, help your salespeople to kind of, you know, they, we've always heard about the salesperson who becomes the dealership within a dealership, the business inside of a business. Right, yeah. um, and I've talk, talked about this dude for a long time. Uh, Louisville Chevy dude. His name is Mike Davenport. He's uh-huh. the foremost Corvette expert probably on the you know east of the Mississippi, if not probably the whole country at this point, um, the guy has took it upon himself to really diversify his skill set. He was a car salesman at the Chevy dealership, uh, first and foremost, became one of the, the lead guys, um, but also started branding himself and started doing these creative videos with the cars that were kind of off center, you know, they're out from left field type of ideas and he'd create thumbnails. I mean, the dude's over 200,000 YouTube subscribers now. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And he would have little innovative ideas in the beginning back when I was selling Mercedes at the other dealership. Um, you know, he would have a video of, Hey, I've got these stickers and I put them on no less than 18 points of the car when I sell a car. And he made a video about that. It it attracted other salespeople and stuff. And you know, he kind of created a name for himself that way. He became more consumer centric when he did, you know, reviews on the cars. Mm-hmm. If you could do an effective review on your inventory, do it. 
It can get get you attention on YouTube. I mean, if you look at Brownlee Ford, you see what they're doing. That can spark ideas. Yeah. All right. They do Brock Patterson does an, an excellent job. I mean, their videos are 25, 30 minutes long, full on deep dive reviews of their trucks. And they, they have like, you know, the uh Hennessy Raptors, like the red, yeah. The redneck toy store. You yeah. know, you go there, it's you know, I don't think there's a truck there that's under sixty five thousand dollars. I had uh, Greg Brown as an, a guest on an earlier episode of this podcast, yeah. and he was saying that um, they sell a lot of those Hennessy Ford Raptors, I guess, or mm-hmm. Velociraptor yep. Raptor, you know, like a 600 horsepower pickup truck. Yep. Um, and the people go nuts for those videos because the guys yep. who are buying those trucks are super enthusiastic about what it can do and the specs and how fast it can go. And that guy, Brock, does a great job with the videos. You're right. He does. And he's got his son helping him out. His son does a fabulous job with the logistical, uh, actual video shooting part. But Brock's, you know, for his most for most of his part, it's him in front of a tripod with a camera, basically doing, you know, a walk around in, of the vehicle in his mind. And as he's mentioning it, the voiceover, they, you know, they, they refer to it with the B-roll that the son shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they do some driving videos with a GoPro up on the windshield. He's talking about all the other aspects of the car. And people eat it up like you're talking about. And he could do two. He could do two different videos on, on basically the same truck. The only thing that's different are maybe some uh, physical nuances, color, maybe some of the trim packages and pieces. You know, the fascia may be different, but because of the color, it appeals to a whole separate set of audience. Yeah. You know, and that's where their brilliance kind of plays in. And as a dealership, they've got over nine thousand subscribers. For a little dealership in Morrison, Tennessee, and believe you me, it is in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. All right? And they're making a name for, for themselves nationally. They're advertising in the uh, du- du- DuPont registry mm-hmm. for their vehicles. They got, a big sign, they got a big sign at your airport there in Nashville, too. That they do. Yep. That they do. So, I mean, understanding and owning, like we always talk about going back to the rules and, and, and uh, laws of marketing, owning a word in the mind. You know, what's, what does your dealership mean? Is it just another run-of-the-mill, commoditized dealership? I guess if anybody listening to this, if they're in upper executive levels, is ask yourself this. What word or phrase does your dealership own, and do you really want to be yet another commoditized dealership? How do you uncommoditize yourself? And it starts there. We, we can be creative all day long and talk about how to be creative. It's not going to help until you I, understand what your true identity is. Right. Who are you as a dealership? Start there. Uh, going back real quick to what you said about, uh, you know, dealers recording their own videos, right? You're talking about the walkarounds that they do at Brownlee Ford and, um, you know, if there's a if there's a if there's a sales manager listening, or maybe a salesperson, or marketing BDC type person, you know, and you're thinking about doing those videos, like, what's the best mechanism to start doing those? Just the guy in a cell phone? Does the sound matter? Like, do you, sure. need, do you need to be in a quiet place? Do you need to be inside? Do you yeah. need a microphone? Or it doesn't matter. People people will take, watch it regardless of the quality. Take it in the service drive after hours, and you know, hey, my name is uh, Todd Smith. I'm with XYZ Dealership here in. Podunkville, Arkansas. I just want to oh, do a I've quick walk around on this and do your walk around. Doesn't have to be, you know, holding yourself at the end. You can, you know, you can 
put the camera on you with the car in the background, hit the uh, the turnaround button, and start doing your walk around. It could be as simple as that. It doesn't have to be, you know, fabulously fancy, produced. Fancy, right? You know, you you can get there eventually, and you'll probably get more interested in. But if you if there's a salesperson listening to this and they want to take the initiative, just do one a week, yeah. five minutes. What are you going to do this week? What's is it going to be a walkthrough of your used inventory and say, hey guys, here's what we have for sale this week? Do something like that. Is it going to be a walk around on a new model? You know, the GLC and Mercedes Benz, the 2020 GLC has got a uh, refresh this year. <clears throat> so this year we're going to be producing videos that talk about all the new things you get. There's always something to be talked about. The problem with salespeople is they don't believe in it. Yeah. Most for the most part, they don't believe in themselves and they're also up against the clock. Well, if I'm going to be doing this over here, then I'm not going to be getting in front of a customer. Right. Which I get. I understand that. You know. What about <clears throat> what about like an internal because I think to a lot of the to a lot of it could be some salespeople are either uh not comfortable in front of the camera or they don't they're not comfortable with the way they speak or they want to like write it down and then they you know or, or they feel like they're not natural uh, you know, or they're running from the law and they don't want to be on camera. That's always, an, that's always a good one. Um, you never know. Um, what if, so to, to, to combat some of that, what if a dealership did a contest where they were like, okay, everybody, we want everyone to do a three minute walk around on the new, you know, Santa Fe and, you know, whichever one is the best one, or we'll have the people in the dealership vote, whichever one is the best one, that person will win, you know, a hundred bucks or whatever make it like an internal contest. And then maybe you develop all of a sudden, like three out of 12 salespeople are kind of comfortable doing it and they kind of like it. And someone tells them, Hey, you did a pretty good job. You should keep doing those. Like maybe that's a way a dealer can, can push salespeople out of their comfort zone and maybe get a few of them to start doing it because that's an easy excuse is I'm not comfortable doing it. I don't want to do it. I don't like being on camera. I don't like the way I sound. Or, you know, I got to put on all, you know, I got to dress right on the day we're doing it. Like maybe that's a way for a, a dealer to kind of start stirring the pot and getting some salespeople interested. No, I understand. And that's um, a good catalyst. And I think you're right along the, along the lines of um, identifying the people within the sales staff who are magnets for mm -hmm. something like that. Um, and I agree, there are going to be people on staff that just aren't comfortable with it, which is fine. But at the same time, once you start seeing people do it, and this is the kind of um, phenomenon that's happened with the Mercedes dealerships that I work with, once they start seeing the same salesperson who's comfortable, they start being like, okay, when can I get my chance to yeah. do a video walk around and I can push myself out there, uh, <clears throat> which is we're starting to see. You know, We just did a whole bunch of videos for the Baton Rouge dealership with three of their salespeople. I'm sure by the time I go back down there in the summer, they're going to have, you know, maybe three or four other. Because, I mean, generally, when I'm walking around with a camera, some of the salespeople, you feel them look at you like, what is this guy doing? Yeah, you know? right. Um, when I did it for myself back in the day, <clears throat> my management didn't get what I was doing. Right. They kind of look, okay, McCarthy, what are you doing? You know, you're, you're kind of making a, you're making a scene. You got all this stuff set up. Let's tear it down. What do you, you know, we don't understand what, we don't get what you're doing. Um I had to beg to take a car home and do video on my time, you know, and once they kind of saw what I was doing, they were like, okay, go ahead. You know, you have full a la carte 
uh, or right. a full license to go ahead and take a car and right. do what you need to do. Carte blanche. It. That, yeah. And it takes, yeah, carte blanche, <clears throat> not a la carte. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and one of those things, it's just, you, you need to have a dealership that believes in that. Uh, that's the biggest problem. It's got to come down from the top. You got to yeah. have a guy that under, dealerships have to start understanding that they're more of a media company these days than an actual car dealer. And that's, that's yeah. the battle to be had. You know, when you have so much competition and everybody, and everybody's now behind the curve, everyone's getting on Facebook and Instagram and they're, and they're starting to see what can be done with this in addition to all the other tried and true tactics and techniques that they use with phone calls and in-person ops and things of that nature. But with the changing dynamic and paradigm of the business, man, you got to adapt. And that's with practically every business out there, you know, um, other than a commoditized business, a plumber an electrician and, and things of that nature. When you have something that's kind of, you have multiple Nissan dealerships in the same market, that are competing for one another's business. You're going to have customers that are going to, you know, have one deal. They're going to ping pong each dealership off of each other for price and all this right. other stuff. What's going to be your value that gets the attention first and starts that conversation? You know, who's the first one to win that conversation? Then effectively training your salespeople to navigate that conversation so you can get the customer in and start winning more deals, you know, and heading off the paths. Cause I mean, I don't know. Do the customers want the best deal or do they just want a hassle-free experience these days? Right. You know, yeah. there, there's some kind of like old school customers that want the best deal mm -hmm. and there are dealerships for that. That's one of the things I ask when someone's looking for a Mercedes. Well, do you want a really good deal and kind of a crappy experience? <laughs> right. You can't have both. Yeah. You know, you're, you're rewarding yourself this car. It's a really nice car. You kind of deserve the experience to go along with it. So I'm going to direct you to the, you know, my guys up at Music City, you know, they're not going to be price leaders, but they're going to be experience leaders because you're going to be dealing with a guy or a girl who believes in what they do. They're not just there because of it. it's a job. This is their life. And they believe in what they sell. And they want you to be X brand owners for life for a reason, because they believe in it. And they want you to believe in it. And they want to share their belief on it. You know what I mean? Yeah. If that makes sense. I, I, I choose the experience usually over the price. It depends, on the mm -hmm. it depends on the situation. But in most cases, I'd rather go to a place that has a better experience or is family owned or has a better reputation online than a place that may be a little cheaper, but, you know, has a bad reputation or, you know, you're going to go and you're not going to get treated well I prefer that one over, you know, saving a few bucks. Right. And, you know, having a salesperson who gets it and understands the that relationship is the new currency. That's another thing. That's another big takeaway in this, in this show. If anybody's listening, relationships are the new currency. They're going to trump all else. Um, for example, when I bought my Titan, okay, I actually, when I'm at the dealership, I go out of my way to text my salesperson. I have not heard from him ever again. And he still works there. Okay. So that's what I remember about my right. experience. Yeah. You know, I kind of took it for what it was. They knew I worked in the car business that it was a no nonsense deal. Uh, I bought the truck. It was a good deal. We went ahead. He gave this, you know, he, he presented the deal. I'm the one who said, okay, fine. Let's go with it. 
So it's not like I was there beating them up and grinding them down. Right. But what I remember is that, dude, I come in from service time to time. I have not heard back from you. Yeah. You know, you, you were telling me all about how it's not just about the sale. It's a service after the sale. Okay, dude, I haven't, I haven't heard word one from you. Yeah. Okay. I want I wanted to bring you to a networking group and show you how to extract more referrals from different business owners and that, this, that, and the other thing. Okay. I'm more than willing to help you because I understand what, how I can help you. I understand where you are and being, having your back up against the wall and you can go from hero to zero from month to month. But at the same time, this is a legacy play. If you're going to do this for a long time, tap into your existing customers, go to the customers who spent the most money with you. Yeah. Okay. Who wrote you the biggest check? There are customers from Mercedes that I still talk to to this day. Not just because I want to sell them stuff. It's because I like them. Right. And yeah. they liked me. You know, it's funny. I work with those guys. I remember I went um, probably, I don't know what year this was, 20, 2012, maybe <clears throat> 2013, mm -hmm. 2014, somewhere in there. I went, was shopping for a Jeep and I went to a Jeep store and I looked at a car, took it for a test drive. Uh, the guy got back to me. We talked about numbers, and I decided that I was going to wait a little while longer, right? Yeah. And then I got into an accident with a deer, and I need, then I went from shopping for a car to needing a car. And I went back to the dealership, and they said, who are you working with? And I said, I don't remember his name, and honestly, I don't really care who I work with. Like he made no impression on me. I didn't. I didn't have. He never gave me his business card. I didn't know his name. I didn't see him in my line of sight. So I got someone else. I bought. Yeah. I bought the car. I ended up buying the car. You know, like the next day. Um, and then I got another job. Started working in the car business and was telling the story of my purchase experience. And I could not remember the name of the guy I bought the car from. Oh well, who's the salesperson? And I'm like, uh, I don't know, John, Jim, Joe. Jeff, I, I could not remember the name of the guy that I bought a car from like six months ago. And to me, that's a terrible job by that guy because, you know, now like I have two sis sister-in-laws who both have Jeeps. And <clears> when they were in the market, they were like, oh, where'd you get yours and who'd you go to? And I'm like, oh, I went to, you know, a Jeep store. And I don't know who I worked with. And honestly, I'm, you know, you can go there. They have a big selection, but I'm not going on my way to recommend them to you. And they're like, oh, okay. But had I had a fantastic experience and I had I worked with a person who I loved, I would have been like, oh, you got to go see my guy, Joe, at so-and-so Jeep store. They take care of you. You got to go there. But I was just kind of like, meh, about the whole experience. And that's a huge difference. And I don't think sometimes, I don't think salespeople get that sometimes. No, they don't. Because, they, you know, and again, in the ethos of the dealership, you typically have – they, they work by threat. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. not the best way right. to motivate somebody. Of course, they have the upside. If they, they're they a 20-car-plus-a-month person, um, <clears throat> however they get there. I mean, I work with uh, – who was it? Oh, there was a girl down in Baton Rouge. She's been there for, I think, in 20 years. Dude, she's selling like 30 to 35 Benzes a month. Oh, wow. That is huge, yeah. huge. She's got her own assistant. And it's all relationships. See, mm -hmm. it's all relationship driven. The the guy who runs the um, the dealerships um, doesn't really hire or doesn't encourage people to hire based on car dealership experience. He wants service industry experience. Have you waited tables? Have you tended bar? 
You know, yeah. did you work, did you sell clothing at some point, whatever he wants people who have been in, you know, customer facing positions that understand customer relational service. Yeah. Uh, that's why he's kind of winning a big part of what I believe why he's winning in that space as a, when you're as a customer, if I'm going to go to buy my first Benz, okay. And I'm rewarding myself of the fruits of my labor and I get to a dealership where they just pulled a guy off the floor at Best Buy, okay? And he's just stumbling through. And it, yeah, you're going to have newbies that come into right. play. You're going to, you know, they're going to have to learn somehow. But for a dealership, I, it's almost like going through radio. You got to start in, the, in the, the, the little, you know, the smaller leagues mm -hmm. to work yourself up to the majors. That's kind of how I see the ascension of the car business. Okay, start selling honda kia and you know get your feet wet understand the sales process understand the fundamental natures of how to sell a car um and and you know if you're good and have longevity in mind for what you're doing aspire to the higher end dealerships yeah okay that where you can make better profit per car um and all that kind of stuff where you have a little bit more time for yourself there's a little bit better of a trade-off and it's more career-minded it doesn't exactly have when you tell somebody that you sell cars it's a lot different when you tell them that you sell kias versus then selling a bmw right there's a different mindset that yeah. goes with i've always believed that there are those people in the car business that don't think there's any differentiation i'm like dude i beg to differ i think there is. i never i never thought of myself as a highline uh car salesman uh, until it was told to me at my the Honda dealership where I worked, no, dude, you could totally do that. You have the DNA to pull that off. You understand it's about customer relationship, and that's how you win in that business. If I'm going to go to a dealership and I have just a wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, um, we don't really care about you because we know we're not cared about type of attitude – yeah, that's going to kind of put a black eye on the whole experience of me buying my first reward. And that's 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 going to stay with me. Yeah, you know, I'm glad I got the car, but, you know, the experience wasn't exactly all that great. Do you really want that for your customers, you know, at the end of the day? And it's probably one of the biggest differentiators you can use if you're a dealership that sticks to their guns when it comes to, to profit and their price. Maybe that's something to use. Be like, we believe in creating an experience because you're buying an award. You're rewarding yourself. You deserve this experience. If you want to go to the other place and get the quote unquote good deal, you can't have it both ways. Yeah. You know, you're you could have a good, you, you know, you good. There's good, fast and cheap. Pick two. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, you're you talking, can't have all three. I'm talking about before, um, uh, the Mercedes guy hiring people who, you know, have sold something else before, been in the customer service industry. I always thought people from the hospitality side of things, like hotels and resorts, would be good uh, car salespeople because mm -hmm. those people are used, to, you know, in the car business. Depending on where you are, what kind of market you're in, or what kind of what kind of OEM you're selling, um, for might determine the type of customer that you have or the type of shopper that you have and a hospitality employee is really, or maybe service is a good example because you're de dealing with customers who aren't, you know, someone's buying a car. Uh, they're excited. They're buying a car. When someone's yeah. getting their car serviced, it's a nuisance or a hassle or an expense. Um, and having somebody who can deal with a customer 
like a, a person working from the hospitality industry who can deal with a customer that is right off the bat and not all that thrilled about what they're going to be doing and turn that into a positive from that industry, I think would be fantastic for like a service writer, service advisor, service concierge, or a salesperson, a high line brand salesperson. Cause those people are trained in that. Yeah. Like I've been told from people that I worked with in the car business that I don't remember how it was, um, you know, that they see my, I guess my newly adopted attitude of being an entrepreneur for the past several years of, you know, if I had to do it again in the car business, I would do it completely differently. I would do it this way. And they're like, well, yeah, you just don't remember how it was. So it wasn't that long and ago. So, <laughs> what's that? So it wasn't that long ago. What do you mean? They don't, they don't think you'd remember. Well, you know, being being in that position of, oh, crap, I got to make a paycheck and, right. you know, you're kind of under the gun. And, and, and no, I don't know. I, I would make them understand. I do remember. I, I remember that. And, that, you know, but I would what I'm telling you is I would add this one little success point to my week where I would try and put something out on social media on on this free platform that we can advertise on as long as it's, quote, be them centric, hashtag be them centric. It's kind of my thing. Yeah. If it's value-based and in the best interests of my audience, and I continue to do that, over time, guess what's going to happen? I mean, it happened to me when I was at the Mercedes dealership. Uh, I always advertised on the local Facebook pages about different specials and things of that nature because I was so public and out there about it. Guess what happened after a time? When someone was looking for a car on those pages, my name was, uh, was one out of maybe two or three guys that came up every single time. Yeah. Okay. If I had a customer that came in who had a bad experience or was trepidatious about their experience they're about to have, oh man, game on. I was on stage. I embraced that kind of thing, you know, because now I could show them that no, it doesn't have to suck. Buying a car doesn't have to be this way. I don't know why dealerships make it that way. Yeah. But, you know, again, it's also the, the, you know, it's, it's part the dealership's blame and part the customer's blame. Okay. Cause the dealership started out by training the customer that yes, you can negotiate massive amounts of money off of these cars. And that's where the problem starts. Okay. Did you- and when you have, yeah. when you have people that are trained to think that way, they almost do that themselves. There's a, there's a phrase that, 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 that goes along the lines of sticker is quicker. And it's true. If you pay the sticker price, you'll be in and out in no time. Yeah. Right. But nobody wants to pay sticker. No. And the industry did that no. to itself, for sure. They did. It's the same they thing. started the conversation. The consumer took it forward and, and brought it down the field. And now this is why you have this contentious battle that happens when people buy a car. They equate, they equate it to going to the dentist. And now yeah. all the dealerships are trying to you know turn that shit. I was, you know, I like having somebody who's safe to send somebody to. When it comes to buying a car. Yeah, me too. They're going to take care of them. They're not going to be jicky jacked. They're not going to be, you're not going to get into the finance office and, you know, have leg thrown into the, into the deal. Okay. Just shoot straight, man. I mean, when people ask me about the doc fee, I'll say, yeah, that's a little bit of a profit center for us. You know what? Nine times out of 10, they were okay with that. Yeah. That's doc true. fee is basically a way for us to cover the paperwork and all the way to pay to pay the office staff. That's the truth. Yeah. Okay. Finance the extra point and a half, you know point on interest is a profit center for us. Yeah, that's how we make a profit. We're we're a business. 
You know, you, Mr. Executive Professional or business owner, I would hope you understand that. You need to make a profit. Yeah. Why can't we? <laughs> now, maybe, you know, a 10 or 10, 11, 12 pound deal, yeah, probably a bit excessive. Right. But they do happen. So. Just to go back, you said Jicky Jacked three times in this podcast. Where did you pick up yeah. Jicky Jacked? That was from a, um, a gentleman that I worked with at the Honda dealership who did a, a majority of my training, and I hold him in, in high regard. He's, mm -hmm. a, he's a, a sweetheart of a guy. And uh, <clears throat> we always used to apply that term to customers that would come in and say, you know, they, they were jicky-jacking with us. They were, <laughs> you know, trying, you know, well, we went to the other dealership, and they were willing to give us this car for, you know, $4,000 less than what you're willing to give them. You know, that's jicky-jacking. Yeah. We would basically say, okay. Yeah. Then what are you doing here? <laughs> I would say he's getting, we would say he's getting squirrely. This guy's getting squirrely on me. Right. Also, okay. earlier you mentioned that you were going to Baton Rouge in the summer. What are you, crazy? Have you been there? I know. Have you been there in the summer yet? Good. I went to the Woodlands Houston in the summer. Oh. That was fun. I was in Baton Rouge in uh, May. Did I go over yeah. the summer? I was, I think was I went, hot. I went in May. Oh my God. You know it's hot when you get out of the airplane and in the jetway your glasses fog up. I'm like, oh man. And meanwhile, I flew from I flew from New York, so I was wearing pants like like jeans. I wasn't wearing shorts. Even when I went down there in the in like March uh, of last year, it was yeah. not hot, but it was muggy. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I brought all the wrong clothes. Like I don't know why I didn't research what the temperature was going to be like. But you know, in March in New York. It, you get out, you're in JFK and it's freezing. And then you land in Baton Rouge and you're like, oh my God, I'm sweating. Well, I know guys that will take that over having to sweep snow off cars any day of the week. Oh, well, forget that. I mean, that was, yeah. I, you know, from the first five years I was at my last group, I would get out there with the guys and I'd be shoveling and helping. And then the last two years after that, I was like, you know what? Forget it. And I would just watch from my window and I felt bad about it. But um, man, it's miserable doing that miserable and i always thought like why don't car dealerships like hire a crew but then you realize how expensive it is and you have all these guys sitting around so we'd go out there but we would make it fun we'd have start snowball fights and and uh you know you you break uh you know if the snow's really heavy you have like those long brooms you're pushing too hard and they snap in half and um you try and make it fun but sometimes it's well, tough yeah to do i mean it's if freezing. Uh, a dealership really wanted to kind of get you know, culture esque about it. They could really make it a fun experience and come up with little competitions to incentivize the salespeople to get the snow off the cars and things of that nature. And, but you know, a lot of the people who run these places are people who came up and were treated a certain way when they came up and they just kind yeah. of carry that, that torch forward. We would always do like, okay, it's going to snow, snow close tomorrow. Like we would make an announcement on our internal chat thing. Like, you know, snow close in the morning, you know, sales close in the afternoon. Like we would kind of, so people wouldn't show up in their, you know, suit with their dress black shoes on and then be expected to be outside and in six inches of snow without boots and gloves and everything. We would make little right. announcements. I always wanted to make a video. We had a snowstorm in Connecticut probably, I don't know, four, three or four years ago with like mm -hmm. feet of snow. And I mean, like, from my office window, it was like up to the doors, like the windows. I mean, we had like three feet of snow. It was insane. And I wanted to make a video, a time-lapse video of uh, the plowing and shoveling on the side of the building, like right outside the window. Uh, but this was before they came out with the new Titan. 
and Nissan mm. didn't have a pickup truck you could plow with. So we had to buy a Chevy from the Chevy store down the road and put a plow on it to plow our driveway. And I was like, well, I'm not going to make a time-lapse video of us plowing our driveway with a competing truck. So I'm like, all right, I guess we won't do that now. Uh, <laughs> it was before the Titan, because you could, I think you, you can get the Titan now with the plow package. Back then, they didn't recommend it, and so we had to buy like a, you know, whatever the Chevy pickup truck is. I don't even know, 2500? I don't even know what it's called. Um, yeah, heavy duty. To plow. And I was like, well, that, mm-hmm. defeats, that defeats the purpose, but... That's the end of that story. So there you go. There you go. <laughs> well, I think we're done. This has been fun, yeah. though. I hope it brought value. I think so. When are you going to bring me back on your pod, one of your podcasts? Can I get on the Rich Redmond show, or do I have to be a musician for that? Um, well, I think um, we could we could probably figure something out. I'm sure Rich would be okay with it. He was like, "Who the heck is that guy?" Yeah. Uh, plug, plug, um. Plug some stuff. Why don't you plug some stuff plug, you're doing? Plug some stuff. Well, we got the voiceover. That's the other thing is that for, you know, dealerships being creative, are you changing up your on hold message every month to match whatever may be going on? And that's something that uh, Jim McCarthy voiceovers.com can certainly help you with. Mm, yes. I used um, to use Jim McCarthy voiceovers for that back in the day. Yes. You could totally use Jim McCarthy voiceovers.com at Jim McCarthy voiceovers.com. So go check that out. Uh, and then if there's other podcast people listening, Jim McCarthy voiceovers does podcast intros and what yeah. pr- and production. If you've heard my podcast intro and, uh, outro, which you're about to hear in just a few seconds, Jim McCarthy voiced and produced that for me as well. Yes. And, uh, knows a lot these days. And, uh, also what was the other thing? Oh, and your podcast. Yes. The JMVO Weekly Primer. The uh, well, if, I don't know when this one's going to be coming out, but the last episode as of today, the tenth of February, uh, is about. Let me see. You pull this up here. I'm pretty sure I could probably talk off the top of my head about it. It is actually about the uh, leveraging your personal brand in case you get the rug pulled out from underneath you. It was inspired by the recent uh, culling of 1,200 people within the iHeart Media organization, uh, but. Yes. As we kind of had the conversation, it applies to a lot of people in sales. You know, uh, what if all of a sudden you're working at a dealership and they decide to fire half the staff and you're one of them? Yeah. What if all that time you were building a social media presence where all you have to do is unplug your flag from where you are and wherever you land, you plug it back in and then say, here I am now. Come see me. You and I had a long talk about that on the phone a couple of weeks ago. I think the, yes. maybe the day after or the day that that happened. And mm-hmm. um, I think I was telling you, <clears throat> there's a station that, uh, an iHeart station, uh, one market over from where I live, where I used to work. And it was a small station that had like one guy working at it, but he was the local guy. And he was a victim of the layoffs. And people are complaining on that station's Facebook page, like, oh, there's no more local news. Where did he go? We got nothing. And what you're talking about for your podcast is something that a guy like that should have or could have been doing to help ease the transition on what's next, as opposed to just being shocked when it happens, especially with like, I don't know how you could be shocked that it would happen for any radio company, but I worked at iHeart the last, the last time they did layoffs in 2012. Yeah, they did them in 2011, 2012. We lost five people in one day from my building, which a building with 26 employees is a huge amount of people. Um, and it was a super depressing day, and that was the catalyst for me to be like, mm, I'm going to do something else, or I should find right. another way to do this, as opposed to just being like, oh, man, that sucks, and then hanging in and waiting for it to be my turn five years later. 
Right. Um, that was the catalyst for me to be like, oh, what a wake up call. I think I'm done with this or I need to come up with a better idea. Um, so that's out now. Well, that's the thing is, uh, that podcast you, you is out now. The head. What's that? That podcast is out now is what I'm, is what I mean. That podcast is out now. Yes. Um, where can people find it? Uh, Jim McCarthy voiceovers.com forward slash podcast or search yeah. the JMVO weekly primer on uh, Facebook. And you'll be able to see the video. Which you know, I don't know if you want to watch the video with me in it, but you know, what's it's, the it's there? What's the chest hair situation in the video? Uh, it is minimal. All right, good. I prefer just for future reference. I prefer that's so how I prefer it. I only do the chest hair thing with you. Oh, like when we Marco Polo? Yeah, that's a lot of chest hair. <laughs> I don't need that. It's like an animal coming out of my shirt. <laughs> like, what's he keeping down there? <laughs> All right, dude. Yeah, it's got so far. It's got 152 views. Not bad. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, for a nobody like me. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> All right, buddy. Cool, man. Thanks for having me. You got it, dude. Thanks for coming on. Well, there you go. Jim McCarthy, the owner of Jim McCarthy VOs on Mostly Automotive Marketing with Matt Wilson. That was fun. I hope you enjoyed listening. I got lots of episodes, lots more episodes coming up soon. We have a bunch that are already recorded that uh, I'll be ready to roll out in the coming weeks. Truly trying to make it bi-weekly-ish this year. That's my New Year's resolution. And I'm going to do better at it than most people do at like diets and going to the gym when they say my resolution is going to be to go to the gym. Then they go three times and they stop going or they're going to take they do a diet and they buy all this healthy food and all this protein powder and all this stuff. And then they give up three weeks into it after blowing 150 bucks on uh, food and product. Yeah, I'm going to do better than that. And I'm going to get these things out every week and make it truly bi-weekly-ish. At least that's what I keep telling myself. Thanks for listening. Mostly Automotive Marketing with Matt Wilson is brought to you by... Wait, this guy has sponsors? Oh, never mind. This sheet of paper's blank. No sponsors. That makes more sense. For updates, info, future episodes, and more, follow on Twitter, subscribe on YouTube, like on Facebook, and connect on Frackle. You guys made that last one up. That's not even a thing, Frackle. Come on.